We're switching it up this week and running some of our favorite conversations we've had since the show began earlier this year. Our first interview today is with screenwriter Alana Bennett on shows that have a blackface episode in their history and what to do about it. Plus, we talked to Bleacher Report's Master Tesfasian about the Last Dance docuseries. The date, September 3rd, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, it's time to re-enjoy some of the best interviews we've done since we started the show earlier this year. Each day this week, we'll be bringing you two of our favorite News O'Clock conversations. First up today is screenwriter Alana Bennett of the CW's Roswell, New Mexico show to discuss the blackface conundrum in Hollywood, which originally aired in June. It started with 30 Rock, then Community, then the Golden Girls. In the last few weeks, we've seen show after show pulling down old episodes for having jokes that use blackface. Today, we're having a conversation about all of this with Alana Bennett. She's a staff writer for the CW show Roswell, New Mexico, a former BuzzFeed staffer and a friend of the show. Thank you for being with us, Alana. Thank you for having me. So... I guess the big question we have to get at is, should these shows featuring blackface be taken down from the internet and syndication? And Alana, I know you've tweeted a bunch about this recently. What do you think about the decision to take down, let's start with those episodes of 30 Rock. Yeah, I feel kind of conflicted about it. I see that people are trying to do, everyone's looking at themselves right now. They're trying to see what they've done that has been potentially racist. They're trying to maybe be a little more anti-racist. When it comes to 30 Rock specifically, it felt a little strange to me, if only because there's a lot of good that Tina Fey has done in her work. There's also a lot of stuff that people have called her out for racially, yes. <laughs> including uh, entire storylines on Kimmy Schmidt that mm-hmm. could be construed as brownface, uh, bad uh, indigenous storylines with white people playing indigenous characters. Yep. Um, and it feels the the... The pulling of the blackface for that one specifically felt like trying to preserve a legacy as opposed to trying to uh, actually address what is at the root of it. And are you are you actually listening to brown people and black people, or, or are you just trying to cover your ass? Basically, co- yeah, are you, are you trying to cover your ass? Right. Yeah. One of the episodes that was pulled, especially, was uh, John Hamm. He did a cameo uh, for their live show, and he did blackface as a parody of an aim is an andy bit which was like a famous blackface like minstrelly show back in the early days of television and radio but so what do we think they should have done instead if not pull them down right i I mean i think there's a couple different options for that like when you turn when you turn on old looney tunes cartoons i think you told me this i did actually so i'm so i am i'm stealing from you (laughs) on your own podcast Um, (laughs) but they have they have disclaimers being like this was made in a different time this these have different racial caricatures that you know we can't necessarily stand with i don't know that a show made like within the last decade can necessarily be like this was made in a different time Mm -hmm. we're so innocent but it can be like the creators or the studio or whoever has makes the decision to put those disclaimers on has since done some reflecting and 
thinks differently about what is in here or it could be a content warning being like this episode contains blackface do with that what you will right (laughs) this this makes me think of honestly just speaking about disclaimers of this past season of um drag race so there Mm, was an incident there was an incident of sexual assault with one of the cast members that came to light during the beginning of the season and they did remove they did edit out this one drag star from it but they also at the beginning and the end of every episode include a disclaimer about why that happened. And I think that's very important because if you go back and just watch that season, then you're like, oh, you would never know this one drag star existed in it. But instead it's like, this is why they weren't there. Yeah, I think that's important. I think it's important as we learn to be more anti-racist to acknowledge where we haven't been or where it gets more murky, where it's like, this is commentary. Is it good commentary? Mm-hmm. How many black people were in your writer's room? How many black people were in your writer's room and actually had a say in anything, how things were done? Did you listen to them? Like, I think it's important to make it so that we, uh, yeah, we're including apologies. Right. I, we're including like rethinking. Is it becoming a knee jerk thing though, is what I'm really con- mm-hmm. concerned about and curious about, because I mean, two of the ones after the 30 Rock episode, there was an episode of the Golden Girls where uh, two of the characters were doing like mud clay treatments and <laughs> one of the major like, we're not actually black and like... Can't use charcoal on your face. Right? So the, <laughs> Don't get those pores. <laughs> but then on the other... Uh, and then there was Community where it was their D- Dungeons and Dragons episode where one of the characters shows up playing a drow, which is a black dark elf, and he's in blackface and everyone immediately calls him out in fact, Yvette Nicole Brown's character immediately says, are we just going to ignore this hate crime happening right here? <laughs> and I don't know, I thought that was a good use of it. So I'm curious what yeah. you guys think. Should we, should creators be looking back at all episodes in recent memory where blackface was used and just automatically pull them down? Or should, or is it going to be more case by case? Personally, I feel like it might be culturally dangerous to just erase more like modern uses of blackface than to just like be like let's talk about this because like in, in the community one for example yeah that they're pointing out this is a hate crime and they're and the way that the character does it is in a way that college kids do it all the time without thinking like college kids are still having those parties like where where the theme is just cultures or they're or they just choose uh it wasn't that long ago that juliana huff was uh that character from orange is the new black and was and darkened herself to be that character for halloween like i think Uh, we need to keep those conversations in culture of actually when you do this it's really messed up and you need to be aware of when you are putting certain things on your face and you think it's just a costume that it actually has different connotations but if we erase that from the conversation our culture has a very short memory. We have to keep some things relevant because we forget everything. <laughs> and I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but is there anyone who's straight up applauding this decision, especially uh, uh, Black people? Not that I can think of. I can't, I'm really struggling to think of any, any reaction I've seen online that was like, wow, good for them. I am so proud of this moment that we finally got those episodes taken out of syndication i saw one person in my mention who who basically said that who who did appear to be a black woman i say appear because you never know what the russians are doing (laughs) she appeared to be a black woman and she and i trust that she was a black woman and she said that she does just want them gone so i mean there are different perspectives on it 
but like I don't know like we all write about culture here like we we witness these things and we see how easily people forget and just slide into bad habits and it feels like we're just putting band-aids over huge histories that can't be contained that easily. And what do you think about any TV or film regulations going forward? Do you see a world in which that happens? Should it happen? I think I'd be very curious what what they do going forward because especially there was like last week it was like it was like all the NBC sitcoms specifically mm-hmm. had yeah. blackface. <laughs> <laughs> I have questions about that. Even just like, like, sure, all of those people are comedy writers who want to push boundaries and say stuff about things. But also, what does that say about your execs at the time being like, yeah, let, let's exactly. check uh, on another blackface? Yeah, I want <laughs> when you say like push boundaries, you know, I feel like you have a yeah. lot of you have a lot of white comedians who come back after they've maybe included a joke with blackface or another racist joke, and they're like oh, where I'm just pushing comedy boundaries. And I'm like, are you? I'm of the mindset mm-hmm. that that's the lowest form of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting you point out that they were all NBC shows because I had not made that connection till now, but it makes sense <laughs> just given based on like who, what networks produce what kind of shows. Like CBS mm-hmm. is like the very like wet oatmeal level of comedy. Cool. Everyone enjoys <laughs> yeah. this blandness. ABC is owned by Disney. And so they have to be v- mm-hmm. relatively family okay. friendly. And then there's but NBC. Hey, it's for CBS, I think that's really interesting because that's actually a tweet I saw that was like, why are we getting rid of all of these like things from these comedy shows and stuff like that? It's like, sure, fine, do that. But what I want to focus on is CBS and all their cop propaganda, Mm, you know? That's true. (laughs) Also, the CBS thing reminded me that like, it's also, we're pulling down lots of blackface episodes. How I Met Your Mother in like the 2010s had a full yellow face episode. Mm. Just Jason Siegel, just in full horrendous yellow face. And it's like, what do you do with that? Like, I want people to know that those creators thought that was okay. Mm-hmm. And and I want them to have to think about it. I don't necessarily want to rewatch it, <laughs> but I want it there. <laughs> well, Alana, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me for my daily rant. It's been great. <laughs> Such a great conversation with Alana. When we come back, we'll be talking to Master Tesfatsian, so don't go anywhere. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. 
Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? What's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. For our second interview today, we're throwing it back to May when we talked to Master Tesfasian about ESPN's The Last Dance series. Basketball lovers, this one's for you. Enjoy the interview. Welcome back. It's time for Say More. The sports fans of the world are pretty desperate right now with games and tournaments canceled because of the coronavirus. But there's been a ray of hope for them these last few weeks. The ESPN Netflix documentary, The Last Dance. Talk about this. We're joined by Bleacher Reports Master Tesfatsion, who hosts the YouTube show Untold Stories. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How you guys doing? Oh, you know, quarantine, but doing okay. <laughs> uh, the weather's been miserable out here in New York too, so try and make the most of this. Uh, absolutely. So the last dance wasn't supposed to premiere until June. Mm-hmm. ESPN pushed the release of the series forward to April when it became clear that sports were done for the next minute. Good idea or absolutely brilliant idea? Oh man, it has been incredible to watch this. Uh, it's it's allowing it's literally capturing every generation's attention spans, which is very difficult to do in this time and age. And you're able to capture it on one of the most polarizing, one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. And there's so many people. I mean, I'm 28 and I caught the tail end of Michael Jordan when I was like maybe seven or eight. My parents still talk to me to this day about me crying during the 98 finals because everyone knew it was gonna be Michael Jordan's last run with the Bulls. And I wanted him to win in Chicago. When they lost game five, I was sobbing because I knew he would ultimately win it in game six in Utah on the road. And I wanted him to win in Chicago with the home fans. I thought that'd be a great moment. But there's so many people that are younger than me that don't even remember a single Michael Jordan highlight, don't remember him much. If they're lucky, they might remember him when he had his short stint with the Wizards when he came out of his second retirement. But other than that, you've typically had to go to YouTube and watch highlights with him. And a lot of it has lacked context and other supplemental interviews and commentary that can fully capture what Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan was capable of doing in the 90s. The series as a whole focuses on the last championship year where Jordan was with the Bulls in the 97-98 season. What is it about this team in particular that makes people so nostalgic? Yeah, it's the end of that era. You know, it's the same way sports fans have gotten nostalgic about the big three in Miami when it was so polarizing to see the announcement of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh linking up in South Beach to create this super team that changed the entire landscape of the NBA. And one of the most notable and prominent super teams that a lot of people who were still alive remember to this day was the Bulls. They, they captured the heart of America. They captured the world globally. They had so many interesting personalities when you go from such an ultra-fierce 
competitor from Michael Jordan. You go from a guy to, of Scottie Pippen who literally came from nowhere. You've got a guy in Dennis Rodman who, and I mean, mm -hmm. Dennis Rodman speaks for itself. I mean, nobody else can say they dated Carmen Electra, dated Tony Braxton, <laughs> and also dyed their hair in so many different colors, and also have their nipples pierced. Like this is this is a one of a kind person that we're talking about here. Obviously, Phil Jackson, who you know is a Zen wizard who who, who looks into you know Native American teachings and a lot of his principles and, and Zen masters he's described. Steve Kerr, who's now the coach of the Warriors of this dynasty that we just watched happen, and and every single one of those personalities has a special place in someone's heart, whether you're a sports fan or not. And I think that's all coming out right now in this very nostalgic moment that we're, you know, we're, we're truly genuinely being able to appreciate what they were able to accomplish in the 90s and almost kind of wondering what that era would have been like if it would have happened during the social media era where everything mm. is so publicized. You were seeing it in real time where these people were literally living like rock stars in the 90s, which was very, very, very difficult to do. So you may the point just there that even though this is a Michael Jordan documentary, it focuses a lot on the people who were around him. I got to ask, though, who do you think that history has been less kind to, Dennis Rodman or Scottie Pippen? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would probably say Scottie just because he was essentially always in Michael Jordan's shadow. With Dennis mm. Rodman, I mean, he was able to establish his own personality, his own identity, uh, you know, through his trials and his own tribulations, even as crazy as going to North Korea to go play basketball with a dictator. Where Scottie Pippen, he was Michael Jordan's right-hand man. Essentially, he was Robin of this entire era that happened. And so, you know, being able to dive deep into how great Scotty was and how hard he had to work just to get to the point that he was at because he was a, a very raw player. And what I mean by raw is that they're just very athletic, but in terms mm -hmm. of the skill sets and in terms of the, the fundamentals and the intangibles, they need some work. They need some coaching. They need to be pushed to reach out their full potential, as we can all relate to throughout our entire careers. And with, having said that, we know a lot of people who don't live up to their potentials despite the, the amount of talent that they may have. However, mm -hmm. Scottie Pippen was able to live up to his potential because Michael Jordan pushed him, because Phil Jackson put him in a great situation, and because he was surrounded with so much talent that the athleticism was able to, to live up to the potential that, that a lot of people around him expected. But once that era with the Bulls ended, he went to the Blazers and wasn't exactly the same person. They mm -hmm. kind of bounced around from different teams and then ultimately retired. And, you know, it, for him, he's kind of bounced around and done some broadcasting here or there, but he hasn't been able to establish himself in his own identity in the same way that Dennis Rodman has. So I would say Scottie Pippen, for sure. So uh, Ken Burns recently criticized the series for having Michael Jordan's production company involved, saying, I find it the opposite direction of where we need to be going. If you are there influencing the very fact of it getting made, it means that certain aspects that you don't necessarily want in aren't going to be in, period. So what do you think about that criticism? Uh, I think as someone who is currently in a Hollywood writing scripts and also someone who is a sports journalist, I think Ken Burns' criticism is fair. Uh, essentially, you, you would want an objective piece in a documentary, and you're always going to be wondering what was left on the cutting board that Michael Jordan was not comfortable with sharing. Uh, but here's the thing. It's Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> there was no other way this was going to happen. Like, Michael Jordan either had to be involved or he wasn't. Adam Silver at the time was the head of NBA Entertainment during the late 90s when NBA camera crews got the approval from Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, and the Bulls to have all-access cameras available throughout the entire season. And that was the one stipulation in which had to be said because otherwise Michael Jordan would not have done this. And mm. so I, I get where Ken Burns is saying, but I say... To every rule, there's an exception, and I'll make an exception for Michael Jordan. I think everyone will. 
<laughs> Fair. So talking about what might be on the cutting room floor, do you think there's something that should be in the documentary, but probably won't be? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The, the, the perspective and angle they've been taking, they're, they're, I, I've heard from a lot of casual fans uh, who are Michael Jordan like fans or know of Michael Jordan, obviously, but aren't big sports fans, that the, the, the cutting back and forth and flashbacks has been kind of confusing. Where, where to me, I'm seeing a lot of perspective and context that I feel ultimately at the end of this will be tied together. Because uh, you, you can't describe the last season that this team was together without establishing how this team came together and how they're at the position that they're in right now. I mean, I think his retirement was something that I hope that you know, they may touch on and discuss, but I, I don't know the way that in the direction that they're going, that they're going to have time or room or space to discuss that. Because Michael Jordan leaving basketball to go play baseball after his father's passing, to me, and, and to a lot of people, it's still one of the most fascinating moments of an athlete's career where, you know, you always want to tell people stick to sports, stick to sports. But the reality is it, no one sticks to sports. No one does. Society and sports rub or intersect or, or collide every single day. And so you're, you were seeing in that moment when Michael Jordan's father was murdered and him ultimately deciding that, you know, there's other things more important to him than the game and him going to play baseball because his father was a big baseball advocate and Michael Jordan actually started playing baseball because of his father and the attachment that he had to his father. Those kind of things I would, I would love to hear, but I don't think they're going to find time in this to, 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 to discuss that. Okay, one last question for you. Uh, on your show, Untold Stories, you have former athletes on spilling tea. So I have a hypothetical for you. After a lengthy negotiation between you and Michael Jordan's, you know, uh, publicist, you come to an agreement. You can ask him one question and one question only, but Jordan can't dodge it, can't say no comment. He has to give you an actual answer. What would that question be? Michael Jordan, why did you say fuck them kids? What made you say, fuck them kids? I need to know. Tell me the story. I want to have animations behind that whole thing. I want you to smoke a cigar as you're talking to me. We playing pool. Hell, I even gamble with him because I know Michael Jordan loves to gamble. I love to gamble. We can play some money. We can play $100 a ball if we want to. But I need him to answer the question. What made you say, fuck them kids? Fair answer. Wow. That's a, that's a great answer. Uh, well, <laughs> Master, thank you so much for joining us. If listeners want to find more of your work, uh, where should they look? You can check it, check me out on, on Bleacher Report. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Master T-E-S, Master T-E-S. And then you can follow me on Instagram, Master underscore Tesfatian. It's about my last name, T-E-S-F-A-T-S-I-O-N. Again, on Instagram, Master underscore Tesfatian. On Twitter, Master T-E-S. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate y'all for having me. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for two more throwback News O'Clock interviews with Tan and Bobby from Queer Eye, as well as columnist Manny Fidel on White Savior Films. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. 
Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council.